Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. President Trump's border crackdown has outraged world opinion. Some of the loudest condemnations have come from Christians. That's because this brutal but messy executive order has been interpreted as a Muslim ban, though the US administration says it's nothing of the sort but a temporary anti-terrorism measure. The world, by and large, isn't buying it. Trump called for a Muslim ban during his campaign, and his ally Rudy Giuliani says this was the nearest thing they could come up with. Yet the list of banned countries leaves untouched Saudi Arabia, America's ally, but also the geographical heart of Islam and a major sponsor of terrorism, also Pakistan. As I said, it's a mess, but what I want to know is whether this travel ban is nonetheless Trump signalling to his America that he understands its fear of Islam, which is pretty much pervasive and overwhelmingly so among his Christian supporters. If so, opinion polls suggest that the tactic has worked. Is Trump turning Islam into America's great Satan, to borrow a term from the Iranian Ayatollahs? I'm joined by Rashad Ali, senior fellow of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, and best-selling author Edward Lucas of The Economist. Rashad Ali, as a Muslim, do you hear a dog whistle from the White House? So I think there's a debate at the moment, is this a Muslim ban or not? People are having this conversation, whereas actually we know that a, he spoke about having a ban on Muslim migration. We know that he spoke to Mr. Giuliani about how can we do this? And he said, well, we can't really do this, but we can have an, a, an anti-terrorist ban. And we know that he's made it very clear about saying we're not trying to stop migration of Christians, as an example. So he's been very, very clear that whether it's in the name of protecting the nation against terrorism, it is very clearly, symbolically, definitely a ban of Muslim migrants, specifically looking at the countries that are outlined and in fact persecuting particular particular minorities from certain countries. Okay, so let me ask you what's really going on, because you know, Trump is not a religious man. No. Take it from me, he really isn't. He has also left off that list, you know, the heartland of Islam, and you know, the world's largest Muslim country, and Pakistan, and all sorts of hugely significant Muslim countries. It's simply not there. Sure. So it's hardly a blanket man on the Muslim world. What's he trying to do? So I think there's two things. One is, is this to do with security? I mean, even people in the State Department have come out and been very, very clear, this is not really going to make any, any difference in any way from a security perspective. And I don't think that's the intent. And secondly, the manner in which this was undertaken, this is really a projection of power, and it's really done in a very authoritarian manner. It was done without consulting the Department of Justice. It was done without assessing how practical is this with the State Department. It was done without even notifying other people within his leadership, whether it's General Mattis and so on. Well, is there an attempt to change the culture of America or to shift the balance, the internal balance of American culture? America, like all societies, is a complicated society. With well, we take, we're taking that as red, but as I say, shift the balance of American culture towards an us-and-them mentality, Well, perhaps? I think internally, I think this is something that any populist leadership needs. It needs to be able to create a dynamic of an us-and-them within it. If the enemy is not the media, as, as has been described, then it's got to be another faction within it, the liberals or the enemy within, essentially. OK, so who, who are the us? Who are the people defining, if you like, the American identity as Trump would like to see it? Steve Bannon? Well, I think this, I think this is also something to consider, that actually the chief strategist is Bannon. And so therefore, seeing this in the light of the alt-right movement and what their particular cultural identity, identitarian goals are, I think is quite significant and important. Ever Lucas? Trump made a lot of promises during the campaign. Now he has to try and honour them. 
And this is actually much less bad than he promised during the campaign. I think it's clumsy, I think it's selective, and I think it's counterproductive. It's, to use Hillary Clinton's favourite word, it's deplorable. Um, but it's not actually a ban on Muslims entering America. I think that's the first thing. No Saudis, no Muslims from India, huge Muslim population there, no Indonesians. So this is not the Muslim ban that we feared. Secondly, I think the style of the Trump administration is you break things first and fix them later. Again, we may say that's not a very good way of conducting diplomacy, though Obama has set very low standards in diplomacy, so one can argue that almost anything may be better than the Obama administration's approach. But we've seen in his way he's dealt with China, with, with, with Mexico, speed is more important than accuracy. And the base is basically happy because they see a president who is doing what they think is rather unusual for a politician. He's fulfilling the promises that he made. And I think for Trump, that is the most important thing. It's keeping momentum going. But to what extent are the anxieties of that base tied up with Islam as opposed to specific questions of security? I suspect there's quite a lot of people who would be happy if he had gone for the full ban on all Muslims. There is a slice of America which thinks that not only are all Muslims abroad terrorists, but there are far too many Muslims in America and they're mostly terrorists as well. They may be wrong on that in every respect, but that is a fear that's there in the electorate and he was certainly pandering to it. But I think that it's wrong to say that this is sort of white nationalism in the White House. I think there's a strand of that, and he certainly panders to it, but I think that there's a lot of clever and sensible people in this administration who could have been in any previous Republican administration, in George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush. There are entirely recognisable types and people here and entirely recognisable priorities. And I think it's a mistake to see all this through the lens of our London liberal neuroses, the things that we think are really shocking like five-year-olds in handcuffs, are not necessarily the things that Mr Trump's supporters think are, are shocking. They think it's bad, and they will say, yes, we've made some mistakes, and now we're fixing it. They have different priorities to us, and they approach those priorities in a different way from what we think. And, and until we accept that, we're in danger of misinterpreting what's going on. Well, Rashad, the, the Trump administration is not united, and I think you feel Absolutely. that the white nationalist strand in it, if there is one and you think there is, is essentially creating this narrative. Well, I think there's two things. One is, like you mentioned, that actually, yeah, there are very sensible people within this administration, people like General Mattis and so on, whose complete perspective is probably antithetical to the type of actions we've seen, actually. At the same time, I think Bannon, as chief strategist, does come from a very particular ideological perspective. Trump is not an ideologue. He doesn't have any particular ideological truck. I think he's someone that has two base instincts. One is he's not someone that really believes in political alliances. He's not so, And he has an isolationist streak. Those two things dominate his perspective. And I think in terms of being able to then look at these actions in that light, it definitely this wasn't a blanket ban on all Muslims. That's self-evidently true. The point is, what was it purposively? And so purposively, when he picks up the phone and has a conversation with Giuliani to say, can we do a ban on all Muslims? And Giuliani says, no, we can't. Then it's very, very clear actually what the intent is and what the messaging behind it is. But if we could just focus on American anxieties about Islam, which have been growing over the decades and were supercharged by 9-11, I've noticed in the rhetoric, not just of evangelical Christians, but also of the far right, that anti-Islamic stories and invective have become far more prominent than they used to be. I remember a time when, when white nationalists actually rather admired some Islamic fundamentalists for kicking the shit out of their opponents. Now they, paradoxically, 
these supposed anti-Semites identify very much with Israel. What's going on? I wouldn't say these people are now are no longer anti-Semites and therefore now they have a, a new enemy, which is the Muslims. I think with regards why they're pro-Israel, it's a mixture of Israel is the enemy to Muslims, or rather the other way around, Muslims see Israel as the enemy. And secondly, as long as those Jews are over there in Israel, it's, it's perfectly fine. It fits in with the kind of far-right narrative that it's different to having, you know, because these are people who believe in a kind of puritanical nationalism, you know, to have Jews not within their midst but in other countries is perfectly, perfectly salient and consistent. I'm a bit puzzled by this idea that Trump doesn't understand alliances because it seems to me that Trump's victory is the result of building alliances, that he's rather expertly, or at least with you know, expert intuition, built a coalition of really disparate people, many of whom who wouldn't really appreciate being in the same room. You've got the big businesses who are fed up with the tax regime that makes them wastefully keep money abroad. You've got the blue-collar workers who are fed up with unemployment. You've got these rather sort of ideological, slightly kooky, outright people, a whole slice of Americans who don't like the way that politics is conducted, all the Hillary haters. And I think that the big question really is not does Trump understand alliances, but when is he going to understand that you need alliances abroad in the same way as you need alliances at home? If I can yank this discussion back to religion and look at this tremendously messy situation from the perspective of many people in the American heartland, most of whom seem to approve of the executive order, they are not especially worried about offending Muslim sensibilities and the notion of a Muslim ban does not offend them to the extent that it clearly does public opinion in the West, including Christian public opinion in the West, because they've seen a Muslim world that's been relentlessly hostile to Western materialist values, but also specifically to non-materialist Christian religion. 80% of the world's most repressive religious regimes are Muslim. It's a, it's a crime to become a Christian in many Muslim countries. And my instinct is that lots of American Christians confronted by this furore will say, well, maybe now they know what it feels like. Or, sorry, there are some injustices, but frankly, offending Muslim sensibilities doesn't count as a very grave crime in my book. What do you think? No, I'm sure there may be some who hold that kind of perspective. I'm not entirely sure how we kind of ascertain what their particular reaction is to this in that light. I think, generally speaking, most are more, more generally afraid of Islam and Muslims in general. I think it's more to do with the fear that can come about as a result of a fear of terrorism. I think that's what this is built on. Uh, that's what the Frank Gaffneys of the world have been going around talking about, how 80% of Muslims in America are affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood, etc. So it's Islam as found of terrorism rather than Islam as a religion that lies at the root of their anxieties. Edward, do you agree with that? I've discussed this a lot with Frank Gaffney, who runs a, what his enemies would call a Muslim-bashing organisation. And I think that there's a, there is a conflation of Muslim, immediately add the word brotherhood, and then immediately add the word terrorist. And, and it's a bit of a paradox, because there are large slices of America where you have prosperous, highly integrated law-abiding and unremarkable Muslim communities and indeed Arab communities who are not Muslim but often get a stick for being because many Americans think that all Muslims are Arabs and all Arabs are Muslims. So I think that it's, I agree with Rash, it's not very well articulated. But I think the key point here is that, as you said, that there is a 
basic feeling among many Americans that something's gone wrong in America's relations with Islam and the 40s on the Islamic side. The Islam, the Muslims are out to try and kill us, or they kill us abroad or kill us in America, and something needs to be done. And the Obama administration clearly didn't do it. And now Trump's saying he is going to do it. And most of the people who support this would probably find it quite hard to find on a map the difference between you know, which is Syria and which is Lebanon. I suspect many British listeners to this podcast might find it difficult to find all the countries on a map. But at least he's done something. And I think that from that he can now move on. And in a way, I think perhaps you know, putting the most positive spin on it, having done this, he's now ticked that box. No one can say you didn't do anything on Muslims, you didn't do anything on refugees. That was a campaign promise. He's done it. And now they'll start fixing it. And I suspect that quite soon you will see a move to bring the military translators who are the most hard done by in fact, it's already softened because we've got the green card holders. Now they've agreed that people who'd already got their visas but hadn't come to America are going to be able to come. I suspect the next thing will be the translators from Iraq and Afghanistan who had, were already part, you know, due to come to America. I think that the unpleasant, brutal, callous, careless edges of this policy are going to be steadily shaved away. And most of middle America won't care because they'll say he fulfilled his promise. If I can end with my little hobby horse, which is that not just Western liberal opinion, but Christian opinion, outside America anyway, has gone into paroxysms of virtue signalling over the Muslim ban. Do you really think it's virtue signalling? Um, in many cases, I think it is. Perhaps I'm a little bit, <laughs> should be a little bit wary of using that very, very useful, but compassion, but be now, yeah, bit of a cliche. I'm afraid from the perspective of Twitter, it looks like virtue signalling. And perhaps it is virtue signalling because I do not notice the same level level of indignation directed either at state visits by autocratic dictators from the rest of the world Chinese or the persecutors of Christians or indeed, or indeed those states on the list that ban visitors from Israel. And also any visitors from Israel, everyone has an Israeli stamp in their passport. And I mean, the, the paradox here is that everyone is furious at the fact that Trump doesn't believe in alliances, supposedly, and is producing an isolationist course. And the result is everyone's saying, let's boycott America. And I think that if you really think that America is in danger of leaving Europe, you should be holding America very tight and trying to make as many links as possible. And I think it's absolutely fine to deplore the visa ban and to make sure that you know, certainly our own citizens who've got dual, passport, dual nationality and so on, and all this is perfectly reasonable matters for the intercourse of nations. But I think that it seems to me that the collective harumph about the Trump administration, which comes out almost every day on something, is not going to make the administration change its mind, and it's not going to help bind America back into the world order, which is the greatest danger that we face. Russia, Lady Edward Lucas, thank you very much indeed. And don't forget, Holy Smoke is The Spectator's new religion podcast. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcast, but don't miss it. <laughs>